So this morning, we're continuing our series through this book of Revelation uh, in a series that we have been calling Shift, in which we have been looking at ways that we can move from one area to another, maybe from one kind of perspective or position that we may be in that may not be good, that may not be necessarily healthy, to a different perspective, a more healthy perspective. And we have been looking throughout this series, for the most part, through the lens of the seven churches to whom John is writing this book of Revelation to. And we have been looking at the seven messages that Jesus himself had for these seven churches in western Turkey and how they could shift from where they were. And many of them, as we have been looking at, were struggling with all sorts of things. Some of them were struggling with apathy. They had lost their first love. Some of them have been struggling with immorality. They have allowed just unbelievable things to to happen and go on in their churches. And others have been dealing with theological issues and others persecution. And so John, through Jesus, is writing to these churches and talking about, hey, this is what I love about your church and this is what I love about you all. However, these are things that you need to change in your church. These are things you need to change in your life. And we've been looking at this, and there's a reason why I think Jesus shared these seven messages. I think there's a lot of reasons why he had shared this. But I think one big reason why is that there is this future that is in store for every single church. There's a future that's in store for every single follower of Jesus Christ. And last week, we got a little sense of what that future looked like as Eric uh, shared with us out of, out of uh, the previous chapter here in Revelation. And um, it was just a beautiful picture of all of these heavenly beings, these angelic beings. And not only that, all of the followers of Jesus coming together in one voice and worshiping God at the throne. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And that Jesus shares this with these seven churches. He shares this, that this this is what Jesus has in store for all of us who follow him. This vision, this reality, by the way, has inspired so many to look to the future. I, I think of Martin Luther, and he said this, we call it heaven or paradise. He said this, I would not give one moment of heaven for all the joys and riches of the world, even if it lasted for thousands and thousands of years. That's that, what a powerful, that, that, that vision he has from Revelation 5 about what, what, the, what, what heaven, what paradise is going to be like. For Martin Luther, he looked at that and said, no way would I ever trade that for time here on earth, even if what I got here on earth was wonderful and it would last thousands and thousands and thousands of years. C.S. Lewis said this, Has the world been so kind to you that you should leave with regret? There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. Amen? I mean, do do we realize this? Knowing that this future is in store for all of us who follow Jesus, you know what? I have to say this. It is my heart's desire, and I believe it is the desire of Summit Ridge, that every single one of you would be in heaven. Every single non-believer would come to know Jesus because wouldn't we want them to also have this future? 
Wouldn't we also want them to know Jesus and to worship at the throne of God Almighty? You know, that's why I, I, I pray for family members. I pray for family members. I so desperately want people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. I want to see those whom I love in heaven with me. I want to see those who I care deeply about to be with me in heaven so that we together can join in that mighty chorus to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. I, I, I want that. I want that for all of us. I hope that that is in some ways our motivation here at Summit Ridge is the fact that, you know what, Jesus Christ has a better future for you that you can never possibly even begin to imagine. We try to do it every Sunday morning to kind of get a glimpse of what that future is going to be like. And I know that we fall woefully short, not because of bad singers or bad musicians. No, we have phenomenal singers and phenomenal physician, or physicians. I'm sure we have those too, musicians. And we have phenomenal sound people and slide people and all of those things that make this possible. No, no, no. It just can't even compare to what it's going to be like when we are face to face with God Almighty. It just can't. And we know that, and, and my frustration is this, I wish, oh, I so wish, that I could just like make family members like know Jesus. You will know Jesus and you will like it. <laughs> right? I wish I could do that. I wish I could make that happen, but we know that that's just not the way that this works, is it? Jesus never forces himself on anyone anyone that is the essence of love in many ways love doesn't force itself on anyone doesn't force anyone to believe him just doesn't otherwise that's not love love always allows for the capacity of a person to choose not to respond in the face of love towards them and that's painful we know that, that to see that reality, to experience that reality, people have to choose to follow Jesus Christ, that it can't be based on anything else but the fact that that grace that is offered to us, that we would accept it. It is only through Jesus that we can be saved. It is only through him that we can experience this future that he has in mind for us. I love what Mark Twain writes, and Mark Twain shares this, and Mark Twain, in my in my opinion, is just being quintessential Mark Twain when he says the following, heaven goes by favor. If, if it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. <laughs> right? So, last week, Eric, Pastor Eric shared with us what that, what that future looks like. What that gave us that vision, that taste of what heaven is. And I believe, as I said before, John is writing this, and Jesus has a purpose to write these seven churches, these seven letters, to say, this is the future I have in store for you. I want you to join me here. I want you to be here with me. Today, the question that I want to tackle is this. What does the journey look like to get there? What does the journey look like to get there? What does the journey entail we know that that in order for us to get there we need jesus we have to accept jesus as lord and savior there is no doubt about that but but i want to go more into what does the road look like is it the roman road what is that you know what what is what is the what does it entail 
What does it entail? And I just want to share with you this morning that, that, that that's the question we're going to look at today. Because after Jesus gives us in his book here, in this chapter 5 last week, of what that future looks like, we're going to look at chapter 6 today to know what that journey looks like for us to get there. And, and I just want to be honest with you up front here, not that I'm ever dishonest with you. I always find that interesting when speakers talk like that. Well, can I tell you the truth as though before you were not? Um, <laughs> No, no, I, I hope I'm always telling the truth as best as I, as I, I know. And, and I just want to share with you that, that this journey isn't maybe what we think it is. That this journey may be not what we think it is. And so this morning, we're going to look at what this journey looks like. And we're going to look at and unpack why this journey looks this way. And why, in many ways, some end up in heaven and maybe some others don't. So that's what we're going to look at today through this book of Revelation. And by the way, when we get into this next chapter, chapter 6, I just want to say this is where we start getting into the soup of Revelation. This is where we begin to get ourselves tied up in knots about what this book means. Okay? I will do my best to help navigate some of this. Um, I will do my best to help maybe understand, maybe help you give some understanding of how I look at these, these passages that we're, going to, that we're going to study today. But nonetheless... This is where we start getting into some really, really um, kind of deep into the weeds kind of revelation stuff that makes people scared out of their minds, confused, or just all around depressed. Okay? All right? I hope that will not be the case this morning. But nonetheless, here it is. Here is what the journey looks like. The journey to our future is hard for everyone. Let me say that again. The journey to our future is hard for everyone. And when I mean everyone, this is the everyone I'm talking about. I'm talking about everyone. I'm talking about Christians and non-Christians. I'm talking about men and women. I'm talking about children. I'm talking about everyone. When I say everyone, I mean everyone. No one's exempt from this. And I'll explain why in just a second here. Now, here is the passages I want to take a look at to explain what I mean by the journey to our future is hard for everyone. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And let me say this, we start out this chapter in what are known as the seven seals or the beginning of the seven seals. Now, if you've been tracking with us for any length of time through this book of Revelation, you will notice something about the, the book of Revelation is that the Apostle John, who is credited with writing this book, loves numbers. And he particularly, he loves the number seven, right? Seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets. The, the number seven comes up constantly. And we know that perhaps one of the reasons why he uses the number seven is that it stands for the completion or essentially the Sabbath week, the completion of the Sabbath week, which for a Jewish person is incredibly important and means that it is complete, it is whole, it is finished kind of thing. And so that is one of the main reasons why John uses the number seven so much throughout this book. He uses other numbers as well, but seven is one of the main numbers he uses. It is the cyclical, or the, the cycle rather, of the Sabbath as shared in the Old Testament. And this brings up, by the way, a really crucial dynamic when reading the book of Revelation that I think we as Christians sometimes get tripped up on. In my opinion, if we want to understand the book of Revelation, the key to understanding it is not to look forward, 
but to look back. Not to look forward, but to look back. And what I mean by that is this. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, look to the Old Testament. Look to the Old Testament. A lot of the things that John is sharing here come from the Old Testament, and really two specific books in particular, um, Ezekiel and Zechariah. Ezekiel and Zechariah. By the way, if you read those two books, particularly Ezekiel, yeah, that might not help you much either, but it's a great book. We'll do it someday. But if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you've got to look back, not forward. Because here's the reason why. John is referencing a lot of Jewish understanding of the end times, a lot of Jewish understanding of the Messiah that was to come. And therefore, it is important for us to understand what the Old Testament says about those things because that is what he is referencing. Let me just say this. To the seven churches that John wrote this book to, they were not confused about what was being said here. They were not confused. They were not sitting around, chances are, like we are today going, hmm, is it premillennial return? Is it the amillennial return? Or is it the postmillennial return? Is it pre, mid, or post-tribulation? Is it, is it really the 144,000, literally? And some of you are giving me weird looks. Um, understandably so. Um, and that's great. I paid a lot of money to learn those, learn those terms. You know what it means in the end? Absolutely nothing. For the most part. For the most part. There are all differing views of that. They were not struggling in the same way that we are struggling. For the most part, they understood what John was talking about. Because John was speaking to not only gentile christians but also jewish christians jewish christians could help understand to the gentile christians what exactly john was talking about here as he was writing this letter but nonetheless that in mind i want us to take a look at what is in oftentimes a very very familiar passage in revelation and it's and, and i'll read it it's called the four horsemen of the apocalypse the four horsemen of the apocalypse in fact, I even talked to um, Dennis beforehand. I said, okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe back here we should put up the red lights, you know, just because we're in Revelation. Let's make it deep red, all that kind of stuff. And then we can go through in the color horses and we can, you know, have the lights accordingly, you know, but we, yeah, nonetheless. Anyways, here we are. <laughs> um, all right. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Red. Red is never a nice color, is it, in that way? Um, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. So John has got this vision. One of the seals is broken. The living, one of the living creatures there says to John, come, or look, or come up here. I want to share it with you. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and the one who sat on it with a bow and a crown was giving to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer, okay? That, there's, there's, there's disagreement right away about who, what's this white horse, who's the rider on the white horse, all this kind of stuff. Some think it's Jesus. Others think it's probably the Antichrist or whatever else. I think it's probably the Antichrist because Jesus broke one of the seven seals. He's not going to be the one to get on the horse and actually ride out, okay? Um, but not only that, perhaps it's also the Antichrist because as you see here, the, the one who sat on had a bow. Where are the arrows? He had a bow, but no arrows. 
and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer, and he's going out to conquer. In other words, going out and, and maybe in some ways giving out a sense of a false peace in his conquering. Maybe giving out a sense of just kind of a false idea that everything's going to be okay, all right? So nonetheless, that's, that's the first one. Here we go, the second seal. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that people would kill one another, and a large sword was given to him. Verse 5, the third seal. When he broke the third seal, I heard a living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and the one who sat on it, a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. And verse 7, the fourth seal. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and the one who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with them. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and famine and plague and by wild animals of the earth. Does that make sense to you all? Let me break it down for you as best as I can. By the way, we're not going to get the seven seals today. We are going to be incomplete. We're only going to get the six. Um, that's all we're going to get to today. I think that's enough. Let me just say this. The first four seals that are described here are things that everyone suffers. It does not matter if you're a Christian or non-Christian. And so what are the four things that suffer? A false peace, war, famine, death. Now, we might be tempted to think, okay, this is sometime in the future. Okay, this is going to happen sometime in the future. Or we can be realistic, brothers and sisters, and say, this is just a normal day in the life of earth. And say, has there ever been a time on the face of the earth when there hasn't been some war being fought? Some famine that is occurring. Some disease, hmm, COVID, that's happening. Has there never been a time when death wasn't present? Hmm? In the garden. But that was a long time ago. In other words, what I interpret here is not so much that these are future things that are happening, but these are things that are happening constantly. These are things that are going on all of the time. They never seem to stop. Whether it's a false sense of security whether it is war, whether it is famine, whether it is death, all of these things happen in the course of everyday life. Period. All that to say is this, and I hope I'm not sharing anything new with all of you this morning. The journey is hard. Life is difficult. Life is not easy. There might be moments when you can relax and breathe a little bit and say, oh, yeah, my kids are healthy. I have a good job. There's nothing majorly wrong with my house. I'm sleeping well at night. You know, my car is paid off. I've got minimal debt or no debt at all. And you can rest and relax in that moment of peace. Because oftentimes, unfortunately, it is just sometimes a moment, isn't it? 
I was talking, um, and it's just a, a, a praise. I was talking with Fran yesterday just to find out how her daughter was doing. And, um, and she said, you know, Dan, I, 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 didn't, I didn't think I paid a ticket for this kind of ride. Yeah. How many of you got a ticket that you never thought you ever paid for, never wanted to pay for, but you're on the coaster? You're on the coaster. You know what the best time on a coaster is? The end <laughs> and the beginning. The end and the beginning. That's, that's the best time on the coaster of life. Let me just say that. The beginning and the end. The in-between part is awfully tough. Awfully tough. That is what I think he is sharing here. Is that as, as, as he's saying to these seven churches, hey, I've got this beautiful future in store for you. Yeah, but the journey there is going to be really, really hard. And no one is exempt. No one is exempt. By the way, you might get through this without ever having to suffer a war. Without ever having to suffer famine. But ultimately, we will all suffer one thing, and that is death. We are all going to die. I know, brothers and sisters, we think of, oh, please, can't I just be like Elijah? And that wonderful chariot that came out of heaven and swooped me up, and I'll never have to die, and just takes me straight up to heaven. Yeah, I want that too. The, the, the Uber of that day. Right? Come on, Jesus. Come on down and just swoop me up and take me up there. I, I'm, I, I would love that. Then I don't have to die. I can just continue to live. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry to say this. I just don't think that's the way it's going to work. I just don't. And we're hoping for that time of the rapture. And I've got ideas about the rapture. I'm not going to go into that today. Um, amen. Um, but nonetheless, it, 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 and I understand, we're just looking for ways as Christians to say, how can I get out of this death thing? How can I get out of not having to die? I get it, right? But let me just share with you, Jesus died. And Jesus said, if I've got to go through this, you've got to go through this, all right? The difference is he got to go first. And the reality is, is that we don't get to stay dead because he's alive. And because of Jesus, we get to die, but not forever. Death is scary. I get it. Because, and, and, and here's another um, probably controversial thing I'm going to say to you. I don't necessarily buy those people who have been to heaven and come back and share it. Here's why. Jesus said it himself. No one has come from earth to heaven and come back to share with you, but I have come from heaven down to earth to share with you what it's like. I'm going to go with Jesus on that. I'm not saying that what they, what people who had those visions aren't false or anything like that. I just, I'm like, mm, wait a minute, I, I, I struggle with that. Jesus himself said it. No one has gone from earth back to heaven to come back and tell us what it's like, but Jesus has come from heaven to earth to tell us what it's like. I'm going to stick with Jesus on this one. And so we understand that in life, it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. Some of you, even today, are just in the soup of life. It is hard. I was reading a study, by the way, just a little side note about parenting and happiness. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, 
um, there's a certain point in parenting that it's not a very happy time. That if you're looking to be happy, children are not the way to it. That there comes a point that it is incredibly difficult financially, on the marriage. It's, it's just incredibly difficult at times to be a parent. However, in the study, what they did seem to find is that there was great purpose in it. Which got me thinking. Purpose and happiness aren't always the same thing. Just because you have a purpose, God bless you, doesn't guarantee you're going to be happy. We emphasize joy. Joy isn't happiness. Joy is knowing that this is what God has called me to do and I'm going to do it to His glory. I may not make me happy about it, but I'm going to do it. It's a beautiful thing, but it's still hard. <laughs> it's absolutely hard. You want to read a book someday, Awake, when you're caffeinated or have slept well and you're in a good mood, and you've got to be in a good mood, brothers and sisters. Do not read this book if you're not. All right? Do not read this book if you are not in a good mood. Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This came from King Solomon, who had everything. And I mean everything. He made Elon Musk look poor. And he made Hugh Hefner look like a lackey. The man had everything. And he was, and he looked at it all and said, it is meaningless. All of it. Our pursuit shouldn't be happiness. Our pursuit is purpose. And God has a purpose, but that doesn't guarantee happiness. Life is hard. This journey, brothers and sisters, for every single person is hard. Is absolutely hard. Another study I was listening to and, and reading about this past week was how the churches in America, particularly, I can't talk about other churches because I'm not in those churches, how we have become extreme because of the political environment, because of COVID, because of all that. We've become extreme. And, and, and the study found, and this was done by the Cato Institute, a libertarian think tank out of Washington, D.C. They had no purpose of ever doing a study like this on churches, but they did it. Do you know what they found that helped churches to become less extreme? Go evangelize. Why? What does evangelism do to help deal with that? Oh, that's right. You begin to meet those people that maybe at one time you thought differently about or maybe you thought were way lost or just evil or whatever else, and you begin to see what they're struggling with. You begin to understand, oh, yes, that's right. Life is hard for them too, as it is for us. If you ever feel that pull in your heart towards people that you look at and you say they are worthless, they are evil, they're nothing, you know what you need to do? Do the exact opposite of what you're thinking and feeling. Don't pull away, pull towards. Go evangelize them. Go serve them. Go be Jesus in the flesh to them. And maybe in those processes, in doing so, maybe we'll begin to understand once again, oh yeah, life is hard for them as well. They're struggling with the same stuff we're struggling with. Life is hard for everyone. And you know what is so cool about these passages here, the first four seals and the rest of the chapter here, is that this book of Revelation, and we call it the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which means we think sometimes that it's like the destruction, the end times. Really, the apocalypse means a revealing or a disclosure. 
That's what the Greek word means, a revealing or a disclosure. In other words, what we as followers of Jesus get a, a, a little opportunity to, to see is see things from God's perspective. The camera lens, the camera view changes. Instead of seeing it from our own view, we get to see it from God's view. That's what this is all about, is seeing things from God's view. God is telling us, hey, y'all, let me just share with you what, what, I, what my perspective is on all this. Let me give you my vision. Let me help you see the world and everything that is going on through my eyes. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. No wonder we as humans struggle with it. No wonder we struggle with that. We're not God. And God wants to share with us, this is my perspective, and I want to share with you, this is what I, I'm seeing. Look at this. What I think is so cool is that every time John is invited up to say, come, behold, look, 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 and that invitation is with us today. Look, look, look. By the way, what I get from these first four seals is this. God is not surprised by it. He called it. This is what's happening. We should not be surprised at all by this. Every time someone, it's interesting, I, I encounter Christians every time some bad thing happens. I don't know what it is. A, a natural catastrophe, an earthquake. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. Yes. Yes. I get it. Jesus is coming soon. And there are people who predict it. They will be mathematically correct at some point because you're guessing so much. And the day you're correct, it will not matter. It will not matter. You will statistically at some point get it. But you know what? Statistically, if you play the lottery enough, you may, you may hit that too. It's all bad math. What it is. Now, the journey is hard for everyone. I love what one late 12th century Italian religious individual said. He said this. The path to paradise begins in hell. The path to paradise begins in hell. It's hard, brothers and sisters. This journey is incredibly, incredibly difficult. However, this is the result. The journey is hard with the result of life in Christ for some and death for others. Yes, we all die, but there are some who suffer in death forever. The next two seals that we're going to look at, the first four deal with everyone. The next one deals with only Christians. The one after this only deals with non-Christians. So here's the fifth seal. Verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who live on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told that they were to rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were to be killed, even as they had been, was completed also. We all die. We all die. What I love about this is the picture of the followers of Jesus. They rest under the altar. That was a very holy place to be. 
And not only that, it was a symbol of not only being in a very holy place, it was also a picture of being in the security of Jesus Christ. You were, you were there in the presence of Jesus Christ. And of course, there are Christians who have been, we, you know, they, we call them martyrs. Martyrs are a witness or testimony. And, and they witness and testify to the truth of Jesus Christ and to who he is and to the message and to the gospel in their own blood by dying for it. And even there, in death, they rest under the altar. They rest in the presence of Jesus. They are resting there. And of course they're asking, how much longer before you finally set everything straight? And I love what John writes. And he says, the response is, just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. Rest, rest, rest. And not only that, you're given wonderful white robes. A sign of righteousness. A sign of purity. A sign of holiness. Beautiful thing. But rest, rest, rest. And what I love about that is this is the fact that God loves this world so much, he doesn't want to see anyone be apart from him for eternity. Rest, 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 because we're not ready yet. We are not ready yet. Of course, many times we'll read, well, what's the magic number here? Obviously, there's a number that we're looking at here of their fellow servers. What's the number? When are we going to hit that number? What's that number going to be? And there are theologians out there who are trying to guess that number. You miss the point, theologians. Go and study something else. There's no magic number. If there is, we don't know it, and we will never know it. Here's the point. God will set things straight, but until that moment, those of us who follow Jesus, we will rest in his presence. You know what I'm looking forward to in many ways after I die? Is the fact, in many ways, we get to take a nice long nap. We get to rest in Abraham's bosom. We get to rest until God is ready to set all things straight. We get to rest. It's like, yeah, you know what? Life is really tough on you. Go take a nap. I got this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I love naps. I look forward to naps. I'm just sad I didn't enjoy them as a kid. But I'm catching up on that now. Right? For the non-Christians, this is what is in store. The sixth seal, verse 12. And I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. Now let me just stop right there real quick, because oftentimes we look at that passages and those verses and think, oh my word, okay, now that's when we know that, that this is the end, right? The moon is going to turn blood red, there's going to be an earthquake and all that kind of stuff. By the way, how many of us have seen a, red, a, a blood moon? One of two things have happened then if we've seen a blood moon. One is this. One of two things have happened. One is this. Either Jesus came and judged and we're left behind. Or, more truthfully, in my opinion, it's a symbol not to be taken literally. In other words, when the day of judgment comes, it ain't going to be pretty. It's not going to be the sun shining and the birds singing and the gentle breeze and the 70 degrees temperature. You'll know it. It's going to be a very dark day. Remember, think of that, of this, of this when Jesus died. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? An earthquake happened. The sky turned dark. Judgment took place. 
It's a dark, dark day. That's the day of judgment. So stop looking for the physical signs and think, oh, it's a blood-red moon. Jesus is coming now. The day of judgment is here. No. The day of judgment, you'll know it. It'll be a very dark day. Here it goes on. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree dropped its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the eminent people and the commanders and the wealthy and the strong and every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the, day, for the great day of the wrath has come. And who is able to stand? In other words, for the non-Christian on the day of judgment, you would, they, they are crying out to say, kill us before we have to stand before God. Make the mountains fall on us. Make the earth swallow us up. In other words, for those who have not known Jesus, the day of judgment will be horrible. It will be unforgiving. It will be ultimate death. That is why some will come to life in Christ and others won't. It's interesting, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. He said this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow, and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The journey to our future is really hard. But you know what is even harder? The road to paradise because so few take it. John Burke, in his uh, work, Imagine Heaven, says this, how you think about heaven affects everything in life. How you prioritize love, how willing you are to sacrifice for the long term, how you view suffering, what you fear, or even don't fear. Jonathan Edwards wrote the following. He said this, the way to heaven is ascending, always going up. And we must be content to travel uphill, though it be hard and tiresome and contrary to the natural bias of our flesh. It is hard, brothers and sisters, which is why we do what we do here today. We gather together. We come together. We worship. We encourage. We tell people, hang in there. It's going to be okay. Hang in there. That future is coming. The road is hard, but you don't travel it alone. I want to end this morning by reading a very familiar passage that is oftentimes read at funerals, but I think is a perfect picture of this journey and what is different for those of us who follow Jesus and those who have yet chosen not to and hopefully at some point will. And it's Psalm 23. And it says the following. And I want you to listen to these words and understand what David is saying here about life and about where God is in all of this. The Lord is my shepherd, and I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Certainly goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen? Brothers and sisters, two things. One is this. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're in the soup, you're not in it alone. We're here. But more importantly, so is Jesus. You never walk this journey alone. Number two, for those of you who may be here, for those of you who may be watching us online, if you are not a follower of Jesus, my hope and my prayer is become one. And it's really simple. Invite Jesus into your heart. Invite him into your life. Ask him to lead you. Ask him to save you, and he will. The road may not get any easier, but you will never walk it alone, and the future will be a lot better. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I am so grateful for this marvelous future that you have in store for every single one of you, one of us, Father, who calls you Lord and Savior. I am grateful that we never have to walk this, this road alone. Life is so hard at times, so hard. And Father, we pray for those this morning who are just walking this road and they are just experiencing unbelievable hardship. I pray, Jesus, for encouragement in the fact that they never have to walk this alone, that you are present with them and so are brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray for anyone here or who may be watching online who may not know you, Jesus, and is just having a hard time of it. I pray, Jesus, that they would turn to you. I pray that they would invite you into their lives to lead them, to guide them, and most importantly, Jesus, to save them. That they would just simply say, Jesus, lead me. I surrender. And I pray, Jesus, that they would know that they too now know, no longer walk that road alone. But not only that, Father, that all of us have a glorious future ahead. We look forward to that day. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.